Okay, we're here today with uh, Nathan Thompson, and he is um, a graduate of Indiana Bible School, and he's uh, received a bachelor's degree in theology and minoring in music. He's been a student pastor, a worship leader, uh, ministry staff, and he is currently pastoring Abundant Life United Pentecostal Church in Albert Lee, Minnesota. He uh, got married last year, and we're congratulating them on that, him and his wife, Skasha. Nathan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jacob. So, Nathan, uh, you've been pastoring for for almost three years now, is that right? That is correct. Yep, so, March of 2010. So how are things going up there in Minnesota? You know, things are going well. Um, we are moving in the right direction, uh, building relationships. The church is growing, and I'm seeing just... Um, a renewed motivation and a renewed passion in the people that I would consider stakeholders in the church, which is really exciting. And so um, in order, I think, for the church to really be the Acts church that we need, you know, a church with exponential growth, I think that the people that are your key people have to really be motivated and passionate. And so we're, we're getting to that threshold at this point. Great. Thank God for that. Now I know this. Uh, I know in pastoring, I know some of the challenges that that uh, some of the local churches are facing, even in even in any type of ministry, whether that's student ministry, whether that's children's ladies ministry, missions. I know that uh, one of the biggest challenges is finances. And uh, talk a little bit about uh, how you guys are working with that in your church, and and you've uh, created an app that uh, you're using in your local church, and I know some other churches are using as well. Talk us, talk to us a little bit about that. Well, the app is called Where I Give, and uh, you can check it out at www.whereigiveapp.com. And basically how it came about is about a year and a half ago, I, was, um, I developed a website for our church, and I was proud of it. Um, but what we didn't offer was online donations, and so I started to do some research because I wanted to give our church the ability to pay or to donate um, online. You know, I figured every one of my other bills I paid online. And so I'll be honest with you, I ran out of checks. And um, <laughs> it was almost, almost I'd begun out of personal convenience um, simply for myself, if I was going to be totally honest. But a friend of mine and I, um, whose father he pastors about an hour to the east of my community, we needed something for our local churches, and so we got together and we started to design and to develop a program that fit the needs of our church. And, and frankly, what we had found in doing research is that there wasn't an affordable option or what we considered an affordable option out there because all of the options seemed to accept credit cards. And um, whether, you know, whoever your credit card processor is, there's just a lot of fees seem to be associated with it. And so that coupled with a little bit of a moral dilemma, um, I wanted to make sure people were giving to the Lord based on first fruits, which I think is a very biblical principle. Um, we decided to go another route and design an app or an online program that would accept donations via ACH, which is basically online checking. And by doing so, we were able to cut out and eliminate a lot of the fees that are tied in with accepting online donations due to credit card, whether people are using credit or debit. So that's where Where I Give came about. 
And we basically just developed it to use in our personal churches. But after having some success with it, we decided, hey, why not let everybody else in on it? And so sure. um, we've been, you know, working with it for about nine months now. Okay. Now, how can, how can, uh, there's so many potent, so many possibilities with this, but how could like a student pastor or ladies ministries director or children's ministries, or even someone who's admissions giving, how could they use that uh do they have categories? Do they separate? How does that work? Basically, when a organization or a nonprofit signs up for a Where I Give account, uh, what happens is um, the person given administrator rights can go in and can create as many categories in the program as they want to. And so, for instance, on our churches, Where I Give account, we have about 10 categories there. We've got a building fund, She's for Christ, Mother's Memorial, so on and so forth. And so, Right now, actually, our church, um, we are really working hard to pay our building off over the next two years. And so there are funds that are starting to pour in because we've made a, a push and we've started a building program campaign to get this building paid off. And so we created a building fund category. And so money is coming in there. Um, I know that if um, people navigate over to www.mnyd.org, Minnesota Youth Division, um, you can see how Where I Give is being used on their page. We developed a custom page for them to accept one-time donations so people don't even have to go in and create an account. They can just, you know, quick hit that page, enter in their payment and uh, their payment information, and donate to Sheets for Christ to the Minnesota District. And so it can be used in various ways, um, but it can be used to promote and to raise funds really for anything and, you know, done in a very efficient manner as far as cost is concerned. Excellent. Excellent. You know, talk, talk to us a little bit about that first fruits that you mentioned earlier and, and kind of, it seems kind of countercultural in a way. I know, you know, the idea is sometimes we give what's left. We give, um, you know, out of even um, not necessarily the, the first things that we get on our first paycheck. We just kind of pay our bills first or we do everything and then we think about, oh, yeah, I need to give or I need to set aside this. How are you guys working through that in your congregation, in your ministry? Well, basically, I'll be honest with you. Um, I mentioned earlier I had a little bit of a moral dilemma with, you know, using credit to pay or to donate or to give your tithes to the Lord. I believe that just as much as the Bible teaches were to give, it also ties first fruits in. And if you study giving you know, overall throughout the, the course of the Bible, I think that um, you'll find that first fruits is just as important of a principle. It seems like God is always asking for the first portion. And um, and so uh, our church, like many other churches, um, we do Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University courses. And uh, one of the steps there is to cut your credit cards out. And um, I felt a little uncomfortable honestly, with the idea that I was going to be asking people in my congregation to cut their credit cards up unless they wanted to donate to the church. I felt a little two-faced, and um, the Bible does talk about first fruits, and first fruits always deals with real money or something that's tangible, even if it was the crops that they were bringing in. In the Old Testament, it was something that you could put your hands on, and um, so that's kind of uh, how we tie in first fruits and stewardship with this. This is just a great way to promote that um, because we deal with 
you know, money straight out of a checking account. It's real money, and it's hopefully the first fruits. Awesome. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about you've got a, a program that you're doing right now in your church and, and even with some of the other men in, in your, your district. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this ministry. It's called Man Up, and, and you started this. And, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that. Well, basically what Man Up is, um, it's really um, kind of a culmination of a burden that was placed in my heart quite a while ago, actually in my senior year at Bible College, I think is really when it was uh, began to be birthed. And as burdens do, um, you know, God tends to elaborate on the burden that he puts on your heart. But basically, it's come to this point, and I'm hoping that it'll grow to be something much larger. But what it is, is we... Um, my dad and I have developed a trip. Uh, last year was our maiden voyage, so to speak, and we just we, we took about nine or ten guys on a trip, and we went out to the Black Hills in South Dakota. And the purpose of the trip is to guide men into authentic biblical manhood. And we feel that men tend to learn best by experience, by learning from experience. You know, I've sat in lecture halls at big universities. Um, I was a part-time student at the University of Minnesota, and I'd go in and I'd sit in a lecture hall with 300 students, and I'd learn complicated things. But that was difficult for me as as a guy, and I know people learn in different ways, but I tend to learn best, and I tend to notice that men learn best when they can just get their hands dirty and do something or be part of something. And so basically what this trip is is um, – it's it's not another conference or not another place to get together and hear something in a lecture setting. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but this is just a different approach. And so what it is, is we get together, there's food, there's fun, there's fellowship. Um, something that I believe is necessary to the core and to the soul of every man is adventure. And so we take adventure. We take this thought that experiential learning is something that works really well for men. And we combine this with a trip and on this trip we do a lot of hiking and partway through our hike we'll stop at a very strategic point and many times the surroundings will coincide with the topic that we're going to talk about or something that's just happened will coincide with what we're getting ready to talk about and we'll bring up a point that um, due to the experience that's just happened or the surroundings around um is something that's very real and very fresh in the minds of the guys that are there. So we'll drive a point home. And um, what we do is we basically take our hikes or our adventure and we just sprinkle into those a couple, um, what I would call just passionate mini, mini sessions where we just stop, make the wilderness around our classroom and we drive a point home and then we continue on with our adventure. And at the end of the day, you know, after all the food's been eaten and everything's been packed up, we gather around the campfire and we just have that campfire moment where we talk about what did we learn today and we drive that point home and we do it kind of in a small group setting so that guys can interact with one another, try to do it in a way that's not threatening but yet doesn't allow for people to hide, you know, behind their personality or whatever. We try to just engage everybody and um, it was successful last year and so this year we've... Um, ratcheted it up a little bit, and we're taking a trip on May 16th, and um, we've created a website, 
and we've promoted it, and we're hoping to have around 25 guys come on the trip with us this year. Wow, that's great. What's the name of your website that you have for that? Website is uh, www.man-up-adventures.com. So man-up-adventures.com. That's incredible. You know, I think there's such a need for that, especially with men. You know, we, uh, my experience is that men <laughs> generally uh, have a harder time opening up and connecting and uh, sometimes uh, getting people away from that environment, just your, what you're familiar with. Maybe that's why men's conferences are successful and, and just getting people away. But this is, seems like a very focused ministry and uh, what, what kind of success have you seen with this? What are some testimonies that, uh, just maybe a quick testimony you could share with us about what kind of impact this is having? Right, absolutely. Well, I'll be really upfront and honest. <clears throat> what we do is we uh, pull from several different authors of men's books, and one of the authors that I've found to be just particularly um, just poignant and, and particularly um, really speaks to the need that I see in a lot of men's life is Robert Lewis. He developed the, um, oh, it's used in a lot of churches. Um, he wrote the book, Raising a Modern Day Night, um, Men's Fraternity. He developed the Men's Fraternity series. And he brings out some, some points that he feels are biblical and are necessary to achieve that authentic biblical manhood. And, and the points simply are, um, a real man rejects passivity. A real man accepts responsibility. And there's several key things that a real man accepts responsibility for. There's, you know, a will to follow, a work to do, a woman to love. And then we actually added, hopefully Robert doesn't mind, but we added a fourth <laughs> unit to God to worship. And then the third principle is um, a real man leads courageously. And then a fourth one, the fourth principle is a real man expects a greater reward. And so basically these principles that he writes about in his book, Raising a Modern Day Night, are derived from comparing the first Adam and his failures to the second Adam and his successes, namely Jesus Christ. And so that's what we taught last year. That's what we're going to teach um, mainly this year with some other principles sprinkled in. But... Uh, you asked about success, and I mm-hmm. said all that to say this. I touched base with all of the guys that were on the trip um, this last summer, about two to three months, depending on when I could see them um, after the trip. And I just simply asked them, you know, was this just another trip? Was this just another get-together? Was this just a good time for you? Or were there lasting impacts and results um, seen in your life? Were there fruits, you know, in your life on this trip? And every one of them had a resounding yes for that answer. And so, you know, as far as testimonies, without getting too personal and mentioning names, um, one guy said, you know what, I uh, really, I just got stuck on that first principle. And he said, I saw all the passivity that was in my life. And so I went back and I took charge of my family, not in an authoritative, not in an unloving way, but in all those areas where I had been passive as a husband and as a dad, I stepped up to the plate and I've seen results in my relationship with my wife and my kids because I haven't been passive in places where I've allowed passivity to creep in. And so that was just a tremendous story. And then to be in service with that family, um, you know, 
just several months ago, just a few, actually really just a few months ago, my wife and I were ministering at the church that they attend, and just to see that family, a cohesive family unit there at the church, worshiping, you could tell things were going well at home. And so mm-hmm. that's just one example and one testimony that really, really ministered to me. That's awesome. Now, I mean, would you consider that building like a network, or or how would you look at that? Like for a young man that wants to, feels like maybe he's dealing with some issues or dealing with some things in his life, uh, do you feel like that helps people develop and helps people grow through those type of things? You know what, I absolutely do. Um, you know, where a lot of this was birthed and came from is my senior year at IBC, I was really impacted by the ministry of Brother Mooney, and Brother Mooney is very, very in touch with the pulse of society and the trends of society and culture. And one of the things he constantly was hitting on when I was at school is the fact that men need to be men and that Mm -hmm. society was really attacking the masculinity of men. And we've seen it now as the trends have continued, you know, up into our current decade. You know, this was back in 2005 when I'm hearing this and it's really hitting home and I'm looking around and no you know, obviously no disrespect meant to anybody that was around me, but I saw a lot of guys who were just grappling mm-hmm. and were grasping for straws when it came to masculinity. And so for a young man, especially in our culture, to have a good hold and a good grip on these principles, um, I think will take him a long way because I think Scripture really teaches that, you know, Christ is our cornerstone. But as far as the family, the man is that spiritual leader, and he is for lack of a better term, that cornerstone of the family. And if the man sure. is strong, chances are the family is going to be strong spiritually. You know, and things are going to go right for them in a spiritual in a spiritual sense. And so I think that it could be a tremendous asset. Now, how could, let's just say there's a, a guy that, you know, he wants to try to connect with some of the men in his church and, and maybe... How could how could someone you know they don't they maybe they're in like I am you know Southern Illinois there's not a lot of mountains around here uh, probably not a good wilderness place to be what what's something maybe on a local level that uh, that somebody could put together how how could they mirror this in just a smaller way in their local congregation Well you know what I I, I first would say that. You know, a burden has to be in the place and in the heart of that person who's going to do that. They have to have a dislocated heart. And what I mean by that is they have to have something going on in in their heart that is going to cause them just to separate from all the stuff that captures the average person's attention on the average day and to check out to that and really, you know, to have some, you know, a burning desire in their heart that keeps them, literally keeps them up at night because that's what's going to drive them to be able to be effective. And um, there's a book by Chip Ingram called Holy Ambition. He goes through a process how you can get something started like this using a word ambition that we don't hear a lot in the church, but tying it to holy ambition or God's ambition for our lives. And so what I'd first say is it has to start with a burden. Second of all, you know, what I did um, two years ago now, I started this men's group at our church. I'd been the pastor for about a year. I was pastoring as a single single person at that point. And so I, I just wanted to start the ball moving. I felt like it was time. I had a burden. And so I just started with the men's group. And uh, we didn't do a lot at first, but I remember the first time we got outside the four walls of the church, there was a, just a little county park about 20 minutes south of our church. And 
there's a, you know a nice couple mile area full of woods and trails and a spot to build a campfire and I took the guys out and I just said hey we're gonna talk as we walk and I'm gonna teach a little bit while we hike and we're gonna get to this spot and we're just gonna kindle a campfire and we're gonna have some snacks and it turned out to be so effective you know I taught about a 15 minute lesson and when I was done um you know, we're hiking and I'm seeing guys start to connect that I've never seen connect before at men's group mm. because either they came late or so-and-so left early and they're walking together and they're talking and bonds were created. And I feel like that's something that's super important when it comes to men. Um, you know, there's a gentleman that attends my church who once a year, he gets together with his buddies from the Vietnam War. And he does that because they went through something together sure. and he doesn't miss it. And he drives all the way across the country just for this weekend meeting with these guys that he went through something. And I'm not comparing our little hiking session or our man up adventure to, you know, Vietnam. But what I'm saying is when guys can get together and go through a process together, something special happens. And not only do you earn a friend sometimes for life, but you earn a prayer partner or you earn sure. um, a close relationship, you know, and, and so something awesome happens and it forms um, a bond that can strengthen our church too. Awesome. Now, I'm sure that uh, in the future, maybe there may be some materials. If you guys ever put anything out, I think that'd be great. I think we need that in our churches. And tell us again where, where people can go to find out more about that. Give us that website one more time. It's www.man-up-adventures.com. Okay. Awesome. Now you talked just you just mentioned briefly about pastoring and and you're probably one of the youngest pastors that I know. Uh, and how did all that come about? Pastoring at, at I'd say a young age. I mean, I think that's generally younger in in our movement. That's particularly in in the fifties. Uh, like I think the average is like fifty five. Uh, talk about that and, and, and kind of what prepared you for that. Well, I grew up in a pastor's home, and so I you know, more or less seen, quote-unquote, the ins and outs of, of what happens. And, and, you know, growing up, I guess, in a whole mission setting even. Um, I, as a youngster, I guess, if you asked me at age nine what I wanted to be, I would have given you two answers. I would have said I want to be a pastor and I want to be a bringer, a heart surgeon. And <laughs> I guess we, I guess we know which one came true. <laughs> um, but I'll be honest with you, as I grew older, um, into my teenage years, into high school, and honestly, even into college, Bible college, I really lost sight of the pastor calling that God had put on my life. I can take you to the point into the place, you know, in Moore, Oklahoma, at a youth rally with Brother Booker from Wisconsin preaching as a 12-year-old where God called me to ministry. I can take you to the spot in that sure. church that's still standing. But so much had happened in my life from that point as a 12-year-old to, you know, the point in time where I'm at college, I'm at Bible college, and I just really didn't have a lot of sense of direction other than the fact that I felt really you know, still interested in the medical field. I wanted to be a pharmacist. And so I was attending my first year of Bible college. Um, 
in St. Paul. I went to ABI and then transferred to IDC. And I was actually moonlighting at night as a student at the University of Minnesota trying to get my pre-farm done to become a pharmacist. And so between my freshman and sophomore year at ABI, I went on El Salvador Youth on Mission, now called, um, I guess, AYC trip. And the last night, God spoke to me in a very, very, very pointed way and said, I want you to minister to people, and I want you to give your life to this, and I want you to go back and cancel all your classes. Wow. And I, I've questioned that so many times <laughs> and during down times, but I, I had unwavering faith for what I'd been told, and I went back and just canceled my classes. And, wow. And I put every, every thought out of my mind of having a, what I would call, I guess, a secular, uh, a secular job. And so long story short, I graduated from IBC. I had offers to go places, but felt like God wanted me to come back home. And so I uh, kind of rode the pine a little bit, like every Bible college graduate does. <laughs> like, and uh, found myself at a church that wasn't my home church when I left Bible college. And uh, after being there, a student pastor and worship leader, for three years, I went to the Rocky Mountain District to just volunteer my time, and I thought that I had had solid direction from God for my life. And while I was there, God did a really transformational work in my life, and I can be honest now and say that I would pray, and God would put pastoring on my heart, and I would immediately dismiss it. And I did this throughout my middle 20s, um, you know, 24, 25 even as a 26-year-old, um, I would dismiss the thought because I was single. And sure. shame on me for limiting God. I just said, God, I, I can't pastor a church as a single person, and I don't even agree with that. <laughs> and um, Which is funny because all I had to do is look through the New Testament and see where Paul planted and pastored churches. True, very you know, true. All throughout that, but um, I was blind. apparently I was blind to that. And God really got a hold of my heart one day, and it happened in a funny way. Because as I was nearing, I felt that I was nearing my, the end of my time in Montana, God had really been speaking to me about this little church in southern Minnesota. And uh, a friend had had a dream that I'd become a pastor of this church, and I laughed and dismissed it. <laughs> a week later, was on my face in my room in the middle of the night, just weeping as God really placed the mantle and the burden for this church on my heart. And I was scared and a little confused, and I was having to face um, my denial of God's burden that he put on my heart as a pastor, and you know, my saying, God, I don't agree with this, and God was basically impressing his will upon me, and, and, and I was willing, but I had a lot of fear as a young person. Um, I had just turned 27, and it was January of 2010, and I walked upstairs, and I sat down in the living room of my pastor. Pastor Randy Shoppy's house in Hardin, Montana, on the Crow Indian Reservation. I just said, listen, this is what's going on. God is chasing after me hard to become a pastor of this church. They don't know that God's doing this. There, <laughs> there's a vacancy there. And here's the deal. You know, I'm barely 27. I'm a month 27, and I'm single, and I'm just looking at all of what I would call my disqualifications. And he looked at me with the straightest face in the world. And he said, Nathan, what are you waiting for? You're knocking out 30. Hmm. And as dumb as that sounds, it was like <laughs> a rock upside the head. And I said, my goodness, I am knocking on 30. And what am I waiting for? And so as, as small as that sounds, that little hmm. phrase, you're knocking on 30. 
was literally the thing that pushed me and my faith over the edge. And so oh. I prayed to God, and I said, God, if you want me there, I'm not going to open my mouth to anybody back there. I'm not going to make a way for myself to get into that door. You're going to have to provide it. And long story short is I moved back to Minnesota uh, first week of February. I'd been home for like three days, got a call from the presbyter of that section. He said, hey, I heard you're back. Will you preach a rally for me at my church you know, this upcoming Friday night? I said I would. Five minutes after that service, I'm sitting in his office and said, hey, uh, how about if you go over to Elbert Lee, Minnesota in two days and be there for that service? And two weeks later, I was voted in as pastor. And I didn't make wow. a way for myself. It was totally a God thing. So That's amazing. That's incredible, man. You know, I, I know you mentioned that uh, your dad was a pastor, and, and you know, we, we went to church there for two years uh, before my dad began, became a pastor. And I remember, you know, your dad one time, I... Uh, we were praying. It was after I think it was a Wednesday night service, and uh, he was just kind of. Your dad was very good at just lingering and just kind of really being sensitive to the spirit. And and that night he was just kind of just praying, and we had done some activity or something. It wasn't like a real intense church service, but he had prayer. And uh, I remember feeling God prompt me to give a tongues and interpretation. Well, I I just stifled it. I just you know, fear or whatever. And I, I said in my mind, I said, well, if, uh, if this is really real, then let, you know, so-and-so, there's a new convert that was up front, a lady. And as soon as I said that she broke out giving a tongues and it was, and then she just fell out on her back, just <laughs> slain in the spirit. <laughs> and so I felt, you know, I felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost. So I came up to the front and I'm just crying and praying. And your dad came over and he put his arms around me. He said, Lord, he said, you know, you wanted to use Jacob in tongues and interpretation tonight. I said, oh, God, help me, God, help me. But, you know, That's talk classic. to that, talk to that, that, that young man, that young lady that maybe they don't have that type of uh, ministry in their life. You know, maybe they don't have a dad that's a pastor or, or or maybe they do, but they're not sure how to connect and how to how to um, tap into the potential that they have. How do we how do we connect with people? How do we develop those relationships where we can ask for help or have someone in our life that can that can maybe walk us through? And I'm sure your dad's still a big part of your life, but how can we how can we connect with with a mentor or someone that can walk with us through the tests that we face in ministry? You know, and this is going to sound so cliche, but the first thing that I would say is you really got to seek the face of God, and it has to happen out of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I look at I look at how I got led to Montana, and when I went out there, all God said is, go out west. That's all I knew. That's all <laughs> I had. And so I called up the whole missions director, what I thought was the whole missions director. He had been recently promoted to the district secretary. And I, I just said, hey, give me like six churches that I can pray about. I'm going to come and give this much time of my life. And uh, I'm answering your question indirectly. Sure. God, through a series of emails and phone calls and, and just times of prayer, led me to this certain church. And there was a time when I just felt God basically put his finger, you know, as I'm praying about these different churches to go to. In my prayer, it's like God just put his finger on this city and this pastor. And I went there, 
And uh, as I mentioned before, I'd sat under my dad's ministry and then Brother Grant's ministry for two years in ABI and Brother Moody's ministry. But, you know, really only having, I guess what I would say is one pastor in my life, and it was my dad. And I wouldn't trade that for anything because sure. my dad is my absolute hero, and he's a tremendous pastor. But it was awesome for me to go sit directly under the ministry of another man, and it had to be the right man. Right. It had to be the right person, and I believe that God has those people strategically placed in our paths, in our lives. And yes, you're right, it's hard to find those people, it's hard to connect those people. Um, but for me, I guess the only way I can answer that is it had to happen out of prayer, and I had to have my steps be ordered by the Lord yeah. in order for me to come in contact with those people. But I'm in the same token, you know that other person has to be sensitive and has to be willing to have the vision to see the need, you know, in the person's life that desires to be mentored. And so it is a little bit of a two-part thing, but I just believe that, you know, if, if you are faithful to God in your requests and in your prayer, that he'll lead you to that. I don't know, honestly, if I can give a tip or a trick, sure. you know, five you know successful steps to follow to, to find that mentor. But I do know that it's extremely extremely important. And what I would say to people who are younger um, is just simply this. Um, the Bible is littered with people who God believed in, but they felt less than qualified. You look at somebody like Gideon, you know, who just had to have his hand held, you know, throughout just an amazing portion of scripture. And I would just simply say this, if God has called you, he will equip you. And when I walked into the church back in February of 2010 for the first time, I thought, my God, what am I doing? You know, I'm single. I've grown up in a pastor's home. I've got four years of Bible college under my belt. I'm supposed to be prepared for this. And I just did not feel qualified or prepared at all. Right. It was like God gave me a peace, and he spoke to me through some key people in my life, basically basically just said, if I put you here, that means that I've called you and I'll equip you. And I, I took that to heart, and I put a lot of faith in that. God was faithful to that promise. Amen. That's great. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your insight and, and your passion, and, and you can feel that and the intensity that you have for, for ministry. And, and uh, I know you're on Facebook and Twitter. I know you're, you're at, uh, on Twitter at Nathan J. Thompson, and then at Facebook, uh, it's Nathan.J.Thompson. I'd love for people to get connected with you. Do you have any other any other way that if people wanted to get connected to you, or email or website or somewhere that that people could go if uh, to to hear more from you? Um, I do have a blog that I'm working on. I've only got um, three posts up. It's something I just started on uh, the beginning of this year, and I've called it a pixel in his paint. I do a lot of design work. And I'm on Photoshop a lot, and so anyone familiar with that is familiar with the fact that there's pixels, and pixels make up all the graphics that you see. And um, so my blog's called A Pixel in His Paint because that's really all that I want to be. I don't, I don't want to be the star of the show, and I don't want to be flashy. I just want to be a pixel in God's paint. He can splatter me across whatever canvas he wants at whatever time he wants. And um, I'm going to be blogging on you know, spiritual matters and leadership matters. Also a lot on music. I love music. I love worship, and I'll be talking a lot about that. And so um, people can navigate that, uh, navigate to that um, by going to uh, my 
actual personal website that I set up for my wife and I. It's NathanAnnScasha.com forward slash a pixel in his paint. So again, that's NathanAnnScasha.com a pixel in his paint forward slash, and that'll bring you to my blog. Or visit our church website at Abundant Life, Albert Lee. Lee is spelled L-E-A dot com. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for for joining us for our first podcast, and uh, we're just pray God's blessings on you and and uh, that you have greater great success in your ministry. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. I really enjoyed it, and I really appreciate the invitation. God bless. All right. God bless.